read this passage and then we'll just consider this together briefly today. So this is Psalm chapter 1. And here's what we read. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. I pray that he adds his blessing to its reading. It's all about blessing, isn't it? So thanks again for the, the very obvious blessing of getting some time away in July. And I'm very grateful to, uh, to Bill and Eric and Ashish and Delano who filled in uh, the pulpit during that time, but also for others, help with the, the music and set up, tear down, all the things that might normally be shared, at least in part, uh, by me and Jill that you took. We're very, very grateful for, for that. Some of you who assumed roles you weren't even planning on that, that you were able to, to do. I can tell you um, one of the encouragements for me personally is that I wasn't concerned about how things were going when I was uh, away. It was, it was great to know that everything was going to be okay, and even if it wasn't necessarily, that it would be made so by the people who were here. We have so many capable leaders, especially, I think, in a church. Our size, we're fairly small, but God's given us some amazing gifts, and your willingness to share those with everybody was Fantastic. So I wasn't worried in the least and, in fact, able to kind of lean into some time away knowing that everything was well. So when I joined you for those two Sundays, it wasn't trying to check up on you and see how things were going. It was because I knew I was missing something that I wanted to be a part of. So it's good to be back with you and, and to, to know that um, this church is in, in great hands. So thanks to everybody who made that happen. We are doing a psalm series. We've been doing this for a few summers. Psalms is one of my favorite books. Actually, it probably is my favorite. I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years now, and in all that time, perhaps you have favorites along the way. It might be like a song or a movie, uh, even just in life. Uh, for me, I keep coming back to the Psalms. I believe this is my most cherished book in, uh, in, in God's Word. And there are a few reasons why that is the case. I mean, one of them is the Psalms show us that God is very approachable. And these songs, that's what the psalms are. They're songs, written songs. They're born out of the human experience, like a lot of songs are. And they're brought straight to God. There's no hesitation there. And you open up the psalms, you'll read some psalms about lament. There's a lot of songs, a whole bunch of songs that are just sad. Sad songs <laughs> that are brought right to God. There are psalms of pain and sorrow and heartache. There are psalms of, about death and depression. There's nothing off limits. And there's also psalms of joy and victory and renewal and praise. And there are psalms of confusion and psalms of assurance. Psalms celebrating God's provision like food and sun and even happiness. Just the basic things of life. And there are psalms agonizing over what it feels like to be abandoned, even by God, 
God, where are you? Are you really there? Do you even exist? Do you hear anything that I say? There's psalms about the wonder of creation on the grand scale. And Eric preached about that in Psalm 8. And on the individual scale, the, the, your individual life that matters. And there's psalms of battle. There's psalms of justice. There's psalms of peace. And all of these are psalms that are included in the scripture. And can be brought directly to God. Your human emotions, your human experience in the psalms it can be brought to God. He's approachable. I love the Psalms for that reason. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. There's so much raw humanity here and honesty, and God gives it the stamp of approval. This is my word. These are the Psalms you should be singing. And because of that, they also show us that God is actually concerned. It's not just that we can approach him. He wants us to. He invites this kind of honesty. We have freedom of expression to God. He knows everything, but in relationship, he grants us the privilege of sharing that with him. Honestly, he desires to hear our hearts. In the Psalms, he's a shepherd. A shepherd knows the sheep's name. He's, he's a friend, somebody that we're familiar with. He's a shield. He's protecting us. He's a fortress, a place of safety. He's an advocate by our side. And all these things are because he's concerned about us. But the Psalms also show us that God is worthy of worship. He's accessible. He draws near. But the Psalms present a God who is transcendent. He is all-powerful. He's the creator. He called forth the stars. You know, Eric was showing the Hubble telescope thing, if you were here then, and from Psalm 8, and the vastness of the universe. And the scriptures picture all of that just being held in God's hands just like scoops it up. And that's how small it is by comparison. He names each one of those galaxies and stars. That's massive. And at the same time, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He's the king on high. He's eternal. He holds all things together. He's the only one truly worthy of our adoration. And he alone deserves our, wor our worship and our allegiance. And that's all in the Psalms. And I don't think I've actually exhausted everything that's in there. Psalm 1, then, the opening psalm, is kind of the controlling psalm for the songbook of the Bible, and it's like the opening note in a symphony setting the tone. And the message is pretty clear. You're looking at it right now. I've already read it. It's a pretty straightforward message. There are two ways to live life. One way is the path of the blessed, and the other is the path of the wicked. And there's not a lot of meddling here with what's in between. It's a very stark division. Either you're living for God and his glory, or you're living for your own. You're living for yourself or for somebody else and for their glory. And there are natural results that come from each. So Psalm 1 gives a picture of how those who live for God's glory can thrive no matter what the circumstances like a tree planted by streams of water. But those that don't, they're like chaff, you know, and the wheat and the small pieces that you throw up into the air just blown away by the wind. Lacking deep purpose, no anchor in life, no meaning, no assurance of what is to come. And if I were to say today, how many of you want a blessed life? How many of you would like to have a blessed life? And by, you don't have to, but if I, I'm guessing if I, if I really asked you that, everybody would raise 
a hand. I'd like that. If the alternate one is one that's not blessed, would you like that? No. If you say you don't, then you're not thinking normally and you're demonstrating the fact that you actually need a blessed life because your thinking is going in the wrong direction. We all long for this. And so the Bible presumes to say, this is what it looks like. Here it is, right at the beginning. And in verses 1 through 3, we see the way of the blessed. If you want to be blessed, blessed is the man. Blessing's a good thing. And being blessed has positive outcomes. Some can be material in the Bible, but they're always spiritual as well. If you want to be blessed, here's how it happens. And verses 1 through 3 begin by saying, if you want to be blessed, avoid the way of sin. Okay? You, need, you need to look at how people are living their lives. It's going to end up in this way or this way, and you choose the way that leads to blessing. And in order to do that, you have to avoid certain things. The Bible does a lot of this. You put off some things and you put on other things. It's both and. You don't just put something off, you put it on and we'll see what that is. But first you say, I'm not going to walk in that way. I'm going to avoid it. And you notice the progression here too. You walk first off. You don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. It's like you're walking away in life and then you sit and stand for a little bit and then you take a seat and say, this is how I'm going to live. And there are people who are telling you what that can look like. So you all have counselors, we all do. The Bible acknowledges we all look to something for authority. What is informing me about what the good life is like? And you walk in that for a while, then you, you stand and you sit in it too. And that is the influence that you're getting. Who is influencing you? What is telling you what a blessed life looks like? And God says there's a whole host of ideas out there and people whispering to you about what it looks like. If you're finding any source about that other than God's word, ultimately, which he gets to, then you'll be guided in the wrong direction. So who or what is influencing you? Do you even realize it? You know, sin is a lot like water. Do any of you have problems with water at home? Water's the enemy, right? I mean, it's both the source of life and it's the enemy if you're a homeowner. Water finds the point of least resistance and gets in there. And that's a lot of what sin is like, too. So you have to avoid it. You have to be aware of it. Where am I prone to that? To, to sitting, to listening, to standing in a way that is opposed to God. Many of us aren't even reflective on that. But it can be so damaging. My, my former youth leader, many, many years ago, was a very successful baseball player, uh, but he succumbed to a lifestyle of drugs. And it kind of wrecked his life, and he found Jesus in the course of everything, because he was ruined. He was sitting in the council of a pathway that led to destruction. And at the bottom, he said, how do I recover from this? And he found the Lord. And and God changed his life. And one of the first things he did was say, I'm going to go back and tell my friends about this. And he went back and he started using drugs again. He fell right back into it. And then that second time he realized, I cannot go with these people anymore. I cannot be around these individuals because their voice just pulls me down. And I'm so consumed with a vision for life that they have to offer that is false 
I'm not strong enough to do it. So he had to end all those relationships and start something completely new. And I was just seeing a post of him and his wife have been married for you know, a very, very long time, and he's planted a church and, and, and doing great. Now he could probably go back because he's anchored in something completely different. But how easy it was for him to be swayed and influenced. If you want to be blessed, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who live out the blessed kind of life. Get input from the kind of sources that align with God's vision of the good life. Hashtag blessed, people. What does it mean if I were to say hashtag blessed and shoot it out to you? What would come to mind? For a lot of people, it might mean I'm healthy, right? Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I just got a great report on my health. Or, 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 or uh, you know, some money, maybe. I won the lottery, which is kind of ridiculous, but, or I got a raise or, you know, uh, reduced expenses. Hashtag blessed. Because it's material, right? And that is a sort of blessing, but that's kind of how the world defines blessing. That's sort of a, a vision of what the good life is that's, that's not really based in God's definition of blessing. When, when God talks about being blessed, what does that mean? It's something very different. I would suggest maybe you go ask what I would call a seasoned believer. What does it mean to be blessed? Somebody who's maybe lived a long life walking with the Lord. And they and, and say, hashtag blessed. Of course, this kind of person may not know what a hashtag is. Do you mean hash brown? <laughs> but let's say, for example, that they understand what you're talking about. What do you, and I said, what does it mean to live a blessed life? You ask somebody who's seasoned. And my, my guess is, I almost guarantee that they're not going to be start, they're not going to talk about the same things as somebody who has a vision that's different and outside the scope of what God has said would mean. One of the people who taught me about that, of course, is uh, Alex Aronis. And as some of you know, I was able to speak at his funeral just a, a, a couple of weeks ago. And part of why I went to him, he was 90 years old, because he, he lived this life of unpacking what it means to walk with God, to apply Psalm 1. And if I say, Alex, what does it mean to be blessed? He would say, it's to know the depth of the riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, to know that you are loved fully and completely. When we were singing that song, that repetitious, he is for you, he is for you. It's like by the 20th time, you're like, I think I maybe believe it. Yeah. And that's part of your unpacking the depths of the love of God for a lifetime. That's real, that's real blessing. You see somebody who's anchored in that reality, no matter what circumstances occur, can flourish. Because it's not material circumstances defining your joy, but who God says you are. The deep and full assurance that he's at work no matter what. That's what I long for. And it's, it's not as if when you say, okay, I get it. It just happens automatically. This is a journey. That walking in progression could be flipped on its side. You can walk in the path of the wicked and end up sitting down. Now let's walk in the path of the righteous. It's a long-term project. Or as Eugene Peterson calls it in uh, the, you know, the book title, a long obedience in the same direction. That's the Christian life. And it leads to blessings that are different than the, what, what the world considers blessing. And Jesus himself makes a really strong effort to define what it looks like to live a blessed life. We even did a whole sermon series on this. 
In Matthew chapter 5, God's kingdom, God's economy, what does it look like to be blessed? Markarios in the Greek, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament would use the same word here. Blessed is the man. Markarios is the man. And Jesus says, here's kind of a glimpse of it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You want to know what it's like to receive a blessing from God? Come empty-handed with nothing in yourself. You have poverty of spirit. I have nothing to offer. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Hashtag blessed, man. I'm going through some challenging times. I'm weeping with sadness because of the brokenness of the world around me. You will be comforted, not because you've got a good bank account, but because the God whose riches supply your every need in the moral bankruptcy is on your side. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. That is a very different way of thinking about blessing. And here, in the beginning of the psalm, David's saying, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in this way, but instead is fixed on the things of God. And his delight, then, don't walk in this way, instead walk in this way, is, on, is in the law of the Lord. There's not just something to avoid, but something to pursue. In verse 2, we pursue God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. The desires of the blessed are the, for the blessings revealed by God in his word. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteousness, righteous. They are more precious than hitting the lottery. Well, it says gold here. They're more precious than gold. They're sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant ward. In keeping them, there's great reward. In Psalm 119, the songwriter calls God's laws his delight, his counselors, his joy, his light. He says in verse 32, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Just like, you know, picture Julie Andrews or something like that. The hills are alive with the sound of music. This freedom that comes from running in the paths of God's word. So many of us have a vision of God's word that, that leads to something different as if it's oppressive. But you don't really know the freedom of life until you're running in the delight of how God's designed us according to the ways that he's revealed. We ought to be living. Those who love God find his way is the way of freedom. I have preached on this passage before. Some time ago, right after... Uh, talking to a person who was going through a significant crisis in his marriage. In fact, his marriage was pretty much over. His wife was about to leave him. But for the first time in a long time, he actually wanted to make some changes. He, he, he came to me in, in tears and he said, I've messed up in so many ways. And he could barely talk. Um, but I asked him, I said, do you want to live life differently? He said, yeah. I don't know if I can recover all the from all the damage I've done or this marriage, but I want to do it. 
And, you know, like many, his view of the Bible, as we talked about it, had been reduced to rules. It's something you should or shouldn't do. But he hadn't wanted to do these things. He had no relationship with God. And something in him was changing. He was beginning to get a glimpse of a new way of life, the life of the blessed, the life of a child of God. And when you are a son or a daughter of God, when you know what it means for him to redeem you, forgive you, pursue you, love you, then his word becomes less of a duty to obey and more of a delight to pursue. And you can kind of know if you're thinking like a son or a daughter or the Bible has the category of orphan by how do you look at God's word. If it's a delight, you're thinking like a child of God. And he was beginning to get that sense. And that pursuit, if it's a delight to pursue, here in Psalm 1, it comes primarily through meditation in this psalm. It's, it's thinking about it. It's repeating it over and over. Here's a little exercise. This is the village people. Let's see if you can fill in the blank. It's fun to stay at the, the YMCA. Okay, that's really great. Good job. How about Taylor Swift? See who's actually paid attention out there too. Who admits they know the words of this song. We are never, ever, ever. Okay, so a, small, a smaller representation here. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. That's good. How about Billy Joel? Sing us a song. You're the? Okay. <laughs> we could go on and on. How do you guys know some of those words? You could pick different genres along the way, too. You've heard it over and over and over again. Do you realize how much you've meditated on songs over the course of your life? I know. I don't listen. It's actually kind of funny because if you look at Spotify, anything that was created in the past maybe 20 years, maybe 10 years, and you look at how many times it's been played, it's like off the charts. You go back to like a little way back or something, something that was popular when I was, you know, a high schooler. And it has some plays, but not nearly as many. We just didn't have access to it in that respect. And when you play it, people in contemporaries are like, mm, you know, maybe it's okay, I don't know. But you'll see if you listen to Spotify, report at the end of the year, how many hours you've listened to music. How, how much time you have had that repetition put in your mind over and over and over again. You're meditating on something all the time. And it is seeping into, for better or worse, the way you think about yourself and the world around you. So you do have to be careful, I would argue, what you're putting into your mind. It, it does shape you in ways you don't even realize. At least that's what the Bible would say. And I think we're, if we're honest, we know that. I mean, maybe, you know, the YMCA song hasn't shaped you in any morally significant way, but you know the words. You can speak them again. I, I used to, um, some, some time ago, as a matter of practice, I'd go to nursing homes and maybe do a service at a nursing home, and I'd speak. Oftentimes, the people whose cognitive capacities weren't fully present. And I'm not entirely, I mean, they, they thought my daughter was their daughter, for example. Like, oh, hey, you're my daughter. I'm like, clearly not, right? Uh, but when we would sing the hymns, we would sing a hymn, they knew all the words. It totally blew my mind. There was something neurological happening with the repetition going on. They could still recall that, even if they thought my daughter was theirs. And it's getting into you, it's seeping into you. And for, here, for the psalm saying, if you want to walk in the way of the blessed, 
get this, in, meditate on this. And you do that through repetition. It's one of the great benefits of reading God's word over and over and over again. It sticks in our memories, but it has a dynamic application to life. You know, those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, have you ever experienced just reading a verse that you've read a thousand times and for the first time in your life, it's like, wow, this is, this is doing something to me I've never known. It's the same words, but God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's doing something new in you and in a community all the time. Same words. Repetition, but then also reflection. What does it mean? How does this affect me? This is where maybe we get a little deeper than just listening to the same song over and over. Is there something here to believe or obey? What does this teach me about God, about man, about life, about purpose, about perspective? Repetition, reflection. And biblical meditation always has some action associated with it as well. There's an application component to this. You don't just sit and think for the sake of thinking. It touches on life. On the way that you relate to God, on how you relate to your work, to your family, to your community. And this happens night and day, which is a beautiful say, way of saying God's word touches on everything. There is no second of Steve Schwander's million hours of life that God's word hasn't touched on or can't touch on. That's what he was saying. Avoid sin, pursue God's word. It's a pathway of blessing. And there is a reward attached to it in verse 3. Whatever he does prospers. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Man, I, I love that. I love that imagery here. Uh, prosperity comes in many forms, but note here it's the picture of a tree planted by streams of water. Even in a time of drought, it will bear fruit in season. Its leaf never withers. I love that imagery. Prosperity seems to mean in this passage fruitfulness. And we can automatically dismiss the notion, really, that prosperity equates, equates to material wealth. I mean, Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How blessed is the man, the woman who bears fruit, even when circumstances around them should be bringing out something entirely different. That's what prosperity looks like. When th life comes at you hard, and the Psalms give you the freedom to express it, you are finding an anchor with roots deep in God, such that no matter what's happening, you can still know that you're a child of God, that God has made you for a purpose, that he has meaning even if you can't see it, and the assurance that one day, the, even the greatest brokenness in your life will be made whole. That's what pro biblical prosperity looks like primarily. Anchoring in that reality. And you see, don't you, why we need to come to this again and again? As much as in a moment, maybe, I can even say that and say, yes! In an hour, I could be like chaffing the wind. So we need to anchor ourselves again and again in God's word and this reality, the vision of God's kingdom that's given to us by his word. Otherwise, we'll be tossed about. We'll have no anchor. And when times of drought come, we'll wither. That's the way of the blessed. Now just a few thoughts on the way of the wicked, verses 4 through 6. It's the exact opposite. Not so the wicked, 
They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. No ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose, no assurance in this way of living. According to this opening song of Psalms, all that awaits with certainty is a future judgment. And most people don't carry out their way of life to its logical end. That's what this psalm does. When I was speaking at Alex's funeral, it was just striking me how he spent so much time trying to teach me about what it means to be with Christ, like Christ, for Christ. And he, he himself was on a journey, walking in that way, unpacking it, figuring it out. He doesn't have to strive anymore. He's done teaching others. He's just enjoying the presence of God for eternity. And it gave me joy to picture that image. If what the Bible says is true, that's, that's an outcome of that certain pathway, but there's an alternate perspective as well. The contrast in that final verse is striking. The way of the wicked will perish, but the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And the reason is because the Lord... Yahweh, that covenant name given to Moses, which means I am, he's committed to them. He's working on and through them. He's making them new. He's redeeming them. He's in a relationship with them. He will not give up on them. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you to the end. The young man that I referred to earlier, he was full of skepticism, but he was completely broken. He'd been walking in his own path for plenty of years, and he was tired of it. And he began to see that it was fruitless. He was in a dry and weary land with no water. And the good news is he was beginning to recognize that reality. So I encouraged him to start reading the Psalms. See, you're not alone in this feeling. In fact, there's a whole book about it endorsed by God. Start reading the Psalms. Start with Psalm 1. Ultimately, let the Psalms point you to Jesus, who says, I am the stream of living water. Only I can quench your thirst. I am the way of the righteous. Only in me is there ultimate blessing. And I know you. I'm pursuing you in the midst of your brokenness. That is actually God pursuing you in the person of Christ, reminding you of your need for him. And I know for so many of us, at least for me, when you think of blessing, you connect it to obedience as if it's a straight line. For this young man, perhaps you might think, if I clean up my life, then I will get God's blessing. And that's, that's something I understand. But a lot of us begin to think we deserve it. We deserve God's blessing. I've done everything you asked, and now you owe me. That's how a lot of people can think about this. And I believe in this, we're deceived. Even the best of us here today has no such claim in and of ourselves. Which one of you has lived the path of the righteous every day of his or her life? Please, I yield the floor to you right now. <laughs> I beg of you, come and teach us in the ways of righteousness. And the Bible is very honest about it. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. There's none of us who in our own merits deserves to stand before God and say, you owe me because I did everything that you asked. And you know, if you obey the laws of the road, at the end of, I mean, is there any, maybe some of you do. Never speed. You stop right at the right place. You've never accidentally gone through a red light, nothing. 
at the end of the year, do you expect the chief of police to come and give you an award? And say, well done. You're perfect. Of course not. And we all know that we ha that's not true of us. How many speeding tickets haven't you gotten instead of getting upset at the one you did? <laughs> We're all lawbreakers. What do we deserve? Each one of us today, no matter who we are, we need Jesus. And each one of us today, no matter who we are, can know and live the life of the blessed because Christ himself has made it accessible to us. He's the only one who lived out Psalm 1 perfectly. He's the only one who's walked in the way of the righteousness, always, to the end. And he was the only one who probably, I, I know for a fact, deserved okay, to be in, the, in God's presence because he never sinned. And what does somebody like that do? This is what's amazing about the gospel. That person who was completely perfect says, I'm going to take your account of imperfection and I'm going to bear all the suffering for it on the cross. And you're going to get my account, the righteous one. So if you're concerned about injustice, the greatest injustice was done to Jesus. And that, that shows us and gives us a different perspective, or at least it ought to, on what it means to be righteousness. He, righteous, he was the only truly righteous one. And he invites us to see that, in effect, he is a living psalm. Our blessed song to sing through the ups and downs of the present and the only hope for our future is found in Christ, the only truly righteous one. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28 puts it this way, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who's been made perfect forever. So the right response, this new way according to the Bible is repentance and faith. Turning from walking the way you were walking and sitting and standing and sitting in the way of sin and walking in a new direction. And faith, it's placing your trust in the work that Christ has done, the work of forgiveness that makes your heart new and gives you a thirst for walking in the way of the blessed. I love that. That's the controlling psalm for all of this too. Someone has vision of what it looks like to walk in God's ways. And, and when we attach ourselves to Christ then, he does something in us and gives us a new heart, so we long to walk in these ways, but we're just lifelong projects in that reality, and yet our destination is assured because of what Christ has done. It's not futile. The things you are going through, though you cannot understand them, they're not meaningless. How, how can you believe that if you don't have the assurance of something like this? But we do. We do. Because of the one righteous man, Christ. Father, I pray for all of us, as this choice is before us, the way of the wicked, a way that will certainly perish, and some of us have tasted the fruit of that. It's bitter, and it can lead to death. In some cases, even physical. 
Father, we today want instead to taste of the fruitfulness that comes from believing the gospel. That there is a righteous way to live that only Christ can do, but because of that, he gives us his spirit as we believe in him. And it not just empowers us, but gives us a longing to walk in his ways. And there is great blessing that comes from that. Though we may not see it immediately, we pray you'd give us sight and, and desire and longing to walk in the way of the righteous. So do that. Send your Holy Spirit. May we perhaps taste afresh what it means to be blessed in this way. And may our delight be in the things of God. May that be our food. May that be our bread. May that be our sustenance. So that we today would be like trees planted by streams of water, yielding our fruit in season and never withering. Whatever we do shall prosper. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.